If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Let us pray. Dear God, many of us come to you weary today. Our internet prophets have identified the malady in various ways. Some say our surge capacity is depleted. Others have noted this is a second marathon. Our adaptability is being stretched to its limit. I told my mom that this feels like a dystopian novel she responded that it would not get published because it is too unbelievable. And that's the thing, God. We cannot believe this is happening again. And we do not know how we can keep dealing with a virus that keeps changing so that it makes some people sick and some people mean and puts all of us at our wits end. We are worried, God, for our children and our elders and our health care workers and for the people in countries who are paying hundreds of dollars on the underground market for a vaccine. We are worried for our Jewish neighbors feeling the force of hate yet again. God, please help us to practice compassion. Please empower us to speak out on behalf of the vulnerable. God, please bring us peace. God, please bring us wisdom. God, please help. Today we pray for those who are suffering, and we name them in our hearts, those in our families. Those in our community. Those around the world. May we be in solidarity with the suffering 
as we know you are, O God. Today, let us look around and see the signs of new life amid our suffering world. I keep noticing these crepe myrtles that looked dead after the ice storm, but now they're coming back in beautiful blooms. God, help us to notice and be grateful for the rain this morning, for the butterflies and the flowers. Let us give thanks together for the sick who have recovered, for the relationships that have healed, for the communities that we cherish. Let us give thanks for the solace of the Holy One. Amen. The scripture this morning is from the book of Isaiah, a very long prophetic book in the Hebrew Bible. This is from Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 12. It is a passage that describes an unnamed figure whom Bible readers have traditionally referred to as the suffering servant. You may have heard this before, so I invite you to try to listen with new ears. And I am reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain when you make his life an offering for sin, you shall see, he, sh he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him, the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish, he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, 
and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. When I was in seminary, there was a joke circulating about a children's sermon. So for the children's sermon, the pastor sat on the chancel steps or wherever it is, wherever it is that the pastor normally did the children's sermon. And of course, the children were all bunched up around the pastor because it was pre-COVID times. And the pastor said to the children, good morning, children. I'm so glad you're here today. I have a story for you. It's about a squirrel. And one of the children on the steps raised their hand immediately before the pastor could even finish her sentence and was lifting her hand in in the air, you know, like Hermione Granger. And so, of course, the pastor called on the child and the child said, I know, I know, pastor, the squirrel is Jesus. Because, of course, we all know that the answer to every children's sermon story is Jesus. I have a lot of other things I could say about children's sermons, but my point with this story today and with this sermon is that not everything is always about Jesus. And that's no offense to Jesus, because I'm a fan. (laughs) Now, if that passage I just read from Isaiah were only about Jesus, as many Christian interpreters would say, no one would have kept it or called it sacred, because it would have been meaningless for centuries before Jesus was born. We actually can understand Jesus better by reading his Bible in its own context rather than through a strictly Christian filter. Also, the child's squirrel assumption, the view that everything, particularly the Hebrew Bible, Jesus's Bible, is always about Jesus, that view can really be anti-Semitic because it belittles the original Jewish meanings of those passages, which are rightly precious to our current Jewish neighbors, and they should be meaningful to us as Christians also. And besides, we've had enough anti-Semitism in the past week with some politicians recklessly using the Holocaust as a pawn in their anti-mask and anti-vax campaigns. So back to Isaiah 53, what was its original meaning centuries before Jesus? Well, this passage is the last and longest of five passages that have typically been referred to as the servant songs. They are poetic passages that describe an unnamed innocent figure who suffers on behalf of Israel. As you heard, when I read the passage, this suffering servant 
silently receives undeserved, brutal punishment, which is deemed the will of the Lord, and it results in redemption, joy, and reward. I'll come back to that. The historical setting of Isaiah 53 is the Babylonian exile of the early 6th century BCE. The Babylonian exile is the defining event of the Hebrew Bible period. In case you can't immediately call up that history, that's why I'm here. So, to review, the ancient Babylonians first took control of Jerusalem in 598 BCE. And they hauled many of the leaders of Jerusalem off on a horrific journey more than 800 miles away to Babylon. Now, after the first service, someone had their Bible with them and asked me to show them on a map. And unfortunately, their Bible didn't actually have Babylon on it. But if you pretend my hand is a map and Jerusalem is here and Babylon is here, it's 800 miles because you can't go straight across because there's a big deadly desert there. They would have to go up around the Fertile Crescent where you can survive. Well, theoretically, you can survive. Many people did not survive that journey because, of course, there's no airlift, no buses. This was an ancient trail of tears. Now, some people remained in Jerusalem, some ancient Israelites, and after many of the leaders had been taken off into exile, those who remained rebelled against the Babylonian captors and leaders. And so, in retaliation, the Babylonians looted and burned the city, including the Holy Temple. That happened about 10 years later in 587 BCE. Many people died. Many people suffered. And in the ancient world, the destruction of a temple would have been widely viewed as the destruction of that people's God. So it is truly the stuff of miracles that the people of ancient Israel and their unique religion did not become extinct, being separated from their homeland and having their temple destroyed. Well, Jewish and Christian interpreters have long debated the identity of the servant in Isaiah. It may be that this suffering servant was based on a particular individual originally, but who that might have been has been lost to history. But it is clear in those songs that this suffering servant functions as a metaphor for the whole community of ancient Israelites when they suffered at the hands of the Babylonians during the exile. More specifically, the suffering servant may have been those ancient Israelites who were hauled off into exile as, and the redemptive part was for the people who were left behind in Jerusalem. Now, in two parts of the passage, the servant is compared to a sin offering. Now, this is something we see in the book of Leviticus, a scapegoat, where a sacrificial animal bears the sins of the community. During a time when the temple had been destroyed and commanded rituals like this could not be performed, 
that would have been a powerful image. In another part of the passage, the servant's death is the topic and the burial of the servant. And then right after that, this metaphorical figure receives life anew, providing a hopeful message that continues into the chapters following. Now, even though we've heard here about redemption and death and resurrection, we need not find a squirrel in this passage that is Jesus. In fact, we could compare the death and resurrection or new life in this passage to a similar passage also in the Hebrew Bible. In Ezekiel, you may have heard of it, the dry bones passage, where there's a desert valley filled with dry bones, but they get new flesh on them and they come back to life. And it's a hopeful vision for the people in exile of the time of renewal that would be coming for them. But to Christians, this squirrel sounds like Jesus. There's death and rebirth and innocent yet redemptive suffering. And Jesus's early followers latched on to those similarities between their Jewish texts and their new efforts to make sense of their crucified and resurrected leader. Therefore, several New Testament authors enlisted parts of the servant songs to help make Jesus make sense to his first century Jewish followers. I mentioned before I read the passage that it might seem familiar to you, and I'm guessing that if it does, it could be because you've heard these parts from Isaiah as they are copied out into the New Testament by the New Testament authors. There are five different New Testament passages that quote some part of this chapter 53 in Isaiah to help Jesus make sense to that first century Jewish audience. Even Paul's letter to the Romans seems to have been greatly influenced by Isaiah 53. So this Isaiah passage sounds like Jesus partly because it was tucked right into the New Testament multiple times, and New Testament authors did that because this Isaiah passage sounded to them like Jesus. So the New Testament authors in their time, centuries after Isaiah 53 was written, did make Isaiah's suffering servant into Jesus. Back to the squirrel story, if you have any patience left for that. So seeing Jesus in Isaiah's suffering servant is a matter of direction. If we look forward in time, starting with the time of Isaiah, Jesus is not there. He was not born yet. But when early followers of Jesus looked back at Isaiah, they saw Jesus in that suffering servant figure. On this day in August 2021, we all know that suffering is real now. And one of the most difficult things about suffering is that we want to understand it to make sense of it. Sometimes suffering is redemptive 
And when it is, that's where we Christians tend to see Jesus, because that's how we tend to understand his suffering, like what we also see in looking back on Isaiah's suffering servant. But sometimes suffering is crushing, devastating, destroying. And because we cannot always know how to interpret suffering and we never know all its outcomes and we do not see how it affects its sufferers or how it will play out in history, we cannot always conclude that suffering will be the redemptive kind. If we rush to judge all suffering as redemptive and it ends up being the crushing kind of suffering, well, that can be so harmful and cruel and even inhumane to those who suffer, not to mention theologically problematic. So the difference between these explanations of redemptive or crushing suffering is a matter of direction, kind of like whether we see Jesus in Isaiah is a matter of direction. We can sometimes look back at suffering with compassion, having listened to the sufferers, and if those who have suffered say, after the fact, looking back on their suffering with the benefit of hindsight, that they understand it as redemptive, then those of us who are Christian would look at that kind of situation and say, hey, I know that squirrel. That's Jesus. But if we try to determine ahead of time that all suffering is always redemptive in the end and that it's just a matter of figuring out the details and if we decide to impose that view on sufferers that causes more pain, more suffering because that tells every sufferer that their ordeal must be for some greater purpose, a greater good even, which can end up sounding like their suffering was not really that bad, really it was even necessary. And for those who end up literally crushed, devastated, ruined by suffering, that answer is the furthest thing from compassionate. Again, back when I was in seminary, I was a new chaplain intern at Children's Hospital in Dayton, Ohio. And the first night I ever went out on an emergency call in that role, it was for a horrific car accident on an icy evening. I will spare you any more details as I think Children's Hospital and horrific car accident says enough. When the family's pastor arrived, his effort to comfort them involved telling them that this was God's plan and that good would come out of it. That struck me as a new seminarian as offensive and not very comforting at all. This family was devastated. How could this terrible accident be God's plan? 
What does that say about God? And what does that do for the family's pain? I realize that what their pastor said is a belief that gives hope to some people. It takes us back to that metaphor of the suffering servant in our Isaiah passage. But there's a problem with that view. The problem with insisting that all suffering is divinely imposed for the sake of some higher good and that it may be is that it may cruelly trivialize the pain and suffering. It may even blame those who suffer at the hands of an abuser. The passage I read seems to glorify the silent and docile victim in the passage, and that may even be triggering for some survivors of trauma. And so I want to clearly say the suffering servant passage does not glorify all suffering for all time, and neither does the Christian message. Another problem with insisting from the outset that all suffering is redemptive is that it may prevent seeking solutions to end injustice. After all, if God turns all suffering into good, why change anything? Sadly, we even see that problematic logic in one part of the New Testament. In 1 Peter, we see this passage from Isaiah is invoked to tell slaves to submit to cruel masters. A similar difficulty exists for accidents, injury, and even disease, something we know about this year. If all suffering is always redemptive, why seek preventative measures? And that takes us back to the squirrel story again. It's not always about Jesus, in that not all innocent suffering is always redemptive. We must stop suffering where we can. Whether that involves driving carefully on ice to prevent accidents or listening silently to a family who had an accident so they can find comfort. We must stop suffering where we can, whether it involves getting a child out of an abusive family or making sure that countries experiencing famine get food. We must stop suffering where we can, whether it involves helmets or seatbelts, whether it involves getting vaccines or wearing masks. And surely we must not go so far as to ban something that prevents needless suffering. I'm really upset about that one right now with an unvaccinated child going back to school tomorrow when a mask mandate is banned in our state. I really do not think that Jesus would want his story of transformative suffering to become a reason to allow suffering to persist. 
Yes, the fact that Jesus' suffering was transformed is both awe-inspiring and the basis of our faith. But that does not mean we wait around passively for all suffering to become transformative. In all situations, we must try as much as possible to prevent suffering. But when we cannot prevent it, or just do not prevent it, or when the suffering comes from accidents, or what I'll just generally call evil, then we must remember that Jesus' story was not only about redemptive suffering. It was also about compassion. What is always about Jesus, for those of us who are Christian, is that his suffering reminds us that God is always with us in our suffering. God is always in full solidarity with those who are suffering. God has compassion with us in our suffering and with the suffering of the whole world. God knows our suffering and knows our pain. And for us as Christians, the Jesus narrative, that's the way we know that. Jesus has another name, you know, which was also taken by his early followers from their Bible, also from the book of Isaiah. It is Emmanuel which means God with us. The fact that God is with us, that withness is God's very nature. And there, we Christians find Jesus, even if sometimes a squirrel is just a squirrel. Friends, as we look around us in August 2021, there is plenty of suffering to see. From COVID to child abuse, from car accidents to political corruption, from wildfires to famine. Let us seek God's comfort for all those who suffer. Let us work to eliminate suffering where we can. Let us look for the new life where it appears, and rejoice in it. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.